Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We must set ourselves global targets. Because only what gets measured gets done. And this is the reason why eight months ago we launched the idea of global targets on renewable energy and energy efficiency. And it looked like a long shot, an almost impossible gamble. But we all believed that we had to give it a try. And actually the result is amazing. While Dr. Sultan was speaking, and he obviously was very convincing, Mexico also signed up to our pledge. Now we are at 118 countries from all continents to sign up the global pledge. To double global energy efficiency, to triple renewable capacity to at least 11 terawatts. This is good news. We send a message of hope. This is Wicked Problems. I'm Richard Delavan. As you heard there from Ursula Vangeline, it's kind of been a big week. In the past, you could plan where you place your power uh, generation plans, and also you knew where your main consumers are. Industries are now more or less fully electrifying, but also on the private demand side, when you look into the transportation the car chargers. So also the power systems in between need to change significantly. What gives me hope is really that I hear commitments from everyone around the world. Electrification is the pathway to go. Electricity will be the backbone of the entire energy system of the future. That's the only way how we can get to the carbon emission reduction. Over nearly 25 years in the power grid's technology business, stretching back to long before the company he works for now was called Hitachi Energy, Gerhard Salgo has been a quiet influencer on the European and global energy scene, contributing his ideas to everyone from the International Energy Agency to the Earthshot Prize, helping to solve problems in a sector that's so transformed that even if his kids might not think he's an actual rock star, they're certainly a lot more interested in what he does than they were when they were much younger. As you heard at the top, 
Nearly 120 countries announced this month at COP28 that they had set a target to triple global renewable generation capacity to 11 terawatts by 2030. What would that mean for the grid over the next six years? Will power systems wind up curtailing, that is to say, wasting a lot of that new capacity? If that happens, will the investors who put up nearly 95% of the capital to build renewables in North America anyway keep putting in the trillions of dollars needed every year to get to that goal? Or will power systems be flexible enough to avoid that? Digitalized with AI and machine learning, connecting the sunniest and windiest places across time zones and climatic areas to where the electrons are needed, with stationary grid storage ramping up and smart systems able to flex demand that increases with each EV, heat pump, electrolyzer, and of course, all those data centers powering those digital systems. Full disclosure, I've gotten to know Gerhard a bit over this past year, doing some consulting with Hitachi Energy, and one of the things I've come to appreciate is how much fun he's having tackling the energy challenges that the changes he's seen over his career have actually created. I think you can hear that come through when you hear him talk. You can find more conversations like this at news.wickedproblems.uk, where you can also sign up for our newsletter and consider becoming a paid subscriber to support our work. If you like the show, go on your favorite podcast platform and hit those five stars and write something nice about Gerhard. I know you've heard this a million times by now, but it really does help people find the show. Here's my conversation with Itachi Energy Chief Technology Officer, Gerhard Selga. We hope you enjoy. I'm delighted to be able to join Gerhard Salga, the Chief Technology Officer of Hitachi Energy. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here today. I'm so glad you could join us this week as COP is unfolding. The discussions there have gotten quite intense, but the good news coming out of it so far seems to be that we're edging towards an agreement to triple renewable generation capacity globally by 2030. Why would that be significant? Yeah, Richard, that's a good point. And it's really a positive message to hear the commitment that a significant, huge increase of renewables is targeted across the world. And of course, what you need to consider is that we have just six years to go until 2030. And so far, generation capacity on renewables was installed over a much longer time period. So we, we are facing basically an enormous acceleration and that means that really all stakeholders have to work very much hand in hand from today onwards. There is no day to, to wait in order to make this happen. And that's a big challenge, but it's a fantastic opportunity at the same time. And it seems that there, there is quite a bit of optimism that it is, while a challenge, it is achievable. There was, what, 500 plus billion dollars spent last year on renewables. We saw, it looks like, 400 gigawatts of solar capacity that was installed, 250 of those being in China, which was more than all of the solar capacity installed last year in total globally. So it's it seems like the momentum is there, which is why it seems that there's some optimism that this is not a an unachievable goal. What are some of the other considerations that maybe aren't featuring as prominently in the discussions as they might be? Yeah, the momentum is great and the commitment is there. And as you rightly said, China is, is playing an important role in that, but it's really all, all over the world. And what's very important to consider is that the installation of renewables is one thing, but then really to use them 
uh, efficiently and effectively, that's then really what moves us forward towards the carbon emission reductions and our targets around the world. And then there is much more behind then in order to make these renewables really usable in their energy uh, provision, in the electrification of our energy system. As we've increased renewables in, in different parts of the world, your role as the CTO of Hitachi Energy is that you have this global perspective. And so full disclosure, obviously, you and I have done some work together. So it's for the listeners, it's not a we're not complete strangers to each other. So just to be full disclosure there. But in, in terms of your perspective with this global view, what have you seen as renewables has increased as part of the generation mix in different markets? What are some of the things that if the thing isn't balanced correctly that you might see? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. And we we see really that the the challenges and also the opportunities are varying, obviously, from country to country and region to region. First of all, because there there is very different patterns of renewable power generation in terms of solar profiles, in terms of wind profiles. And then, of course, there is, as I was mentioning, much more behind which is the power system where it needs to get connected. And, and here we again have very different situations in the countries and regions around the world. Uh, what is the underlying key theme, which is always the same for each and every of those power systems, is that you have four dimensions, how we call it, which needs to be in balance. And that is the generation part, which comes in this case then more and more from the renewables. But it is also the demand side where the electricity is really needed and, and consumed finally. And then the third dimension is the storage part where you can create buffers uh, in between the generation and the demand. And the fourth dimension is then really an active transmission and distribution power system, power grid in between, which is really able to handle that. Because it's important uh, for, for those of the listeners who are not uh, experts in the power system technology, electricity must always be used in some way at the same point in time when it is generated. So either it goes into a demand or it goes into a storage. And of course, there must be connections in between. And that's, that is exactly what I mean when I say building the renewable generation is one thing, but building all the rest then in combination, in balance, that is then really the total challenge and the total task we have to approach. And it's something as you're traveling around the world, talking to different customers in different markets, what are some of the the main challenges that you're seeing be overcome? And, and indeed, what's a symptom of, of things not being in balance? We've heard a little bit of something called curtailment. Maybe tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, what is curtailment? Maybe we start from there. It's basically when you have solar PV, when you have uh, wind turbines installed, the wind is blowing, the sun is shining, but due to certain reasons, you cannot make full use of it. So you have to, uh, to reduce basically what you could harvest from those renewable resources, which is really a waste, which is a pity because we are wasting that potential of using renewables for decarbonization 
but we are also, of course, not utilizing the assets then in providing then also really the earnings they, they could provide for the investors. So uh, it's environmentally and financially uh, something which is, is really not what we, we should target. Right. So now what can be reasons to, to limit this and to trigger this curtailment is, first of all, that you can not put the electricity which is generated into the power system. That is something we call congestions in the system where you have basically bottlenecks where then the current flow cannot be transported. And then uh, the other reasons are connected to these four dimensions, which I mentioned before, that either you cannot place it at a demand or you cannot put it into a storage because those assets are not available in the same way as the power generation. We've talked a little bit about, no one's liked waste, right? So you've described curtailment as being waste. And in an environment where we're trying to decarbonize power generation, wasting the capacity of renewables to displace other energy sources is something to be avoided. But you also mentioned something interesting about the market, about the idea that, of course, if you're building these assets, if you're operating these assets, you need to be able to actually generate revenue as a result of, of operating them. And if you don't, then the things can get pretty distorted pretty quickly. We have situations, I guess, in California where for good parts of the day, electricity is essentially free and winds up being dumped where it can't go into storage or be have demand and other things. So what are some of the other kind of creative ways of shifting demand in particular, where we have situations where we've got, it's really sunny, but maybe we're not using as many appliances, lights, et cetera, in a given location. What are some of the other things that new technologies are allowing us to, to shift um, some of that demand? Right. So first of all, uh, the, the very good news is that the technologies to ramp up the, the power system and also the, the renewables and their connection to the system are in principle there. It is, as we were saying in the beginning, a huge effort to scale it that way, but there is no technology we have to wait for. That's a really good news. And one technology which plays a major role in this is the digital technology framework which goes really across the total system from the single asset to how you manage, how you control, but also how you forecast the system, how you plan the system. And then we come to the market rules, which play a, a major role in this, which you were indicating in your question. So digital technology allows us to have flexibility, so to say, also from the digital side to use any market rules, any market boundary conditions which the countries with which the regions are giving. But of course, also these market rules need to be adjusted over time with the ramp up of the renewables in order really to harvest them as efficient and effective as possible. So if you set the right incentives to invest into a balanced approach of the technologies around the generation, around the demand, around the storage, and around the transmission and distribution system, then actually you are creating also the best possible market conditions where then the digital technologies can come in and optimize the total system efficiency in those market rules. What are some of the examples of places where curtailment has gotten 
particularly high. And what have grid operators, utilities, renewable generators, other people done about it? Yeah, the most prominent example, Richard, in, in that one, obviously, is the midday solar peak. Yeah, If you have a huge amount of solar in a country, in a region, where then maybe also you are missing interconnection across a larger system and integrating it into a larger system, either across time zones, where you can create a time shift, or also into climatic zones where you can even transport lots of energy across climatic zones. Or on top of that, you don't have storage capacity, which provides you flexibility to store this midday peak of solar. And maybe on top of that, you even have the grid congestions, which I described earlier, that you cannot even transport the amount of solar which energy which is generated into the storage locations or across an interconnected system, then you really have the worst situation regarding curtailment because then the only thing you can do is to turn off basically parts of these installed solar generation power. And that is really a pity from an environmental and economic perspective. And so the two markets that come to mind where this seems most prominent, one being Texas in the U.S., where because it's isolated from the rest of the U.S. grid, has fewer connections in that way. And the other rather less reliant on solar but wind is Ireland, which has seen over the years, it's as the level of wind generation capacity being as part of the mix has gone up, its level of curtailment has gone from what, about four or 5% to something in the range of 10% uh, over time, more than 10% last year. And so that the and those are both indicators of a grids that are don't have sufficient capacity to be able to export when they have these high levels of generation, but that doesn't have a mix of demand. Yeah, and you mentioned two examples which were are very prominent, but to be fair, also they are by far not the only ones. the uh, the The logic is always if you have an electricity island, and that doesn't need to be a physical island or a geographical island, then you you are reaching these uh, bottlenecks potentially much earlier than if you interconnect really and connect the grids across time zones or even climatic zones. If uh, you are looking for complementarity, that is usually really a key factor how to avoid curtailment and how to really drive uh, overall efficiency. Can you explain complementarity? Yes, good point. So complementarity is when you have different factors which are adding up to each other, for example, at different points in time. When, for example, you do have the solar and the wind, the solar obviously has the midday peak, no matter where you are, this is a natural thing. And uh, while then, for example, on the wind power, especially when you go offshore, you usually have have a significantly different distribution, more equal, but also in many regions of the world at night, the winds are stronger than during the day or you have seasonal situations where then the wind is blowing sometimes much more strongly and that can be in times where the sun is not shining. So these are first two examples of complementarity. 
which illustrate already that if you add up over a larger region, different areas, either solar across time zones or wind across different areas where the wind profiles are different, then you are doing really already a very nice complementarity. And then, of course, uh, you can integrate and combine that also with additional already well-established, uh, more conventional types of power generation in order to use the total system. But complementarity doesn't come only on the generation side. It comes also on the storage and on the demand side. Demand complementarity is then when you have some users who are mainly utilizing electricity maybe in the midday peak, which in the past was actually a problem, which today in the solar regions, for example, is a benefit, and then also complemented by other users, which are maybe using electricity then mainly in other times of the day or even during the night. So complementarity is different patterns which are adding up to each other in order to bring something to, to a profile which is as equal as possible. And I suppose that it's this system you're describing, this much more flexible system, allows us using this different dimensions of technology to be able to smooth out the kinds of peaks and valleys that we've seen, not just in a given system in a given day, but when you look at the history of solar, geez, even over the last 20 years, where we've had this cycle of boom and bust, right? We had the incentives in Japan, in Germany, in Spain for feed-in tariffs, and in California until recently, where they've changed the rules, where there is this massive incentive to be able to install as much solar wind as possible, as quickly as possible, and then policymakers or grid operators find that suddenly that no longer economically works and there's a sudden shift. But having a, a more flexible system smooths out potentially some of these ups and downs? Yes, absolutely. And uh, these ups and downs obviously are increasing in a big way. And if we, we take a minute to reflect on the past or which is still today's situation in many of the power systems, uh, you had a very well predictable uh, demand pattern and you also had very much controllable dispatchable power generation in the fossil plants where you could plan for the next day even for the next week or months or longer than how you generate your power at which point in time and you had already flexibility needs there uh, which means to manage some up and down ramping, but on the scale, it was much, much uh, smaller than it is today. Because today you have these uh, obvious uncontrollable ramp up and down on the renewable generation, and, and that's what we don't want to curtail. And then you also have demand patterns which are changing much more frequently and much faster than in the past. Just consider now the heating and cooling, which is electrical and where especially the heating is changing much more towards electrification. Think about the, all the mobility, which is moving towards electrification, where there is much, much more up and down, which is uh, unpredictable or less predictable than in the past. This is really what is requiring this or what you call it the flexibility. So really, at the same, so we've had 
we have two things moving at the same time, which I think I probably should have asked about at the top. We, should, we have this change in how we're producing, how we're generating electricity. And we also have this changing profile in terms of the demands that are increasing. So we're going to be plugging in more of our cars. The IEA says that by 2030, two out of every three vehicles in the world are going to be things you plug in. We're moving from heating buildings and cooling buildings from systems that use fossil fuels to ones that are electric-based industrial processes that we're trying to shift to use less fossil fuels and more electricity. And of course, all this the digital platforms that we're talking about, many of them using AI, this is now the first kind of secular big increase in terms of demand that we've seen in, in 20 years in some cases, where we have this massive demand from data centers around the world to power a lot of these systems, not just the for the electricity system or the energy system, but the things that we we're using right now to communicate and we rely on our everyday lives. So this we've had a situation where you had a static situ- system of generating, we could plan more easily further in advance and also demand that was pretty much something we could predict and pretty static. And now both of those things are in flux, so it's a lot more complicated. Yes, uh, you're absolutely right. And on top of that, we also have a change in uh, certain demand and also generation centers. In the past, you could plan where you place your power uh, generation uh, plants. And also you knew where your main consumers are. Uh, Now, today, this is changing in a way that Industries which in the past uh, did use a certain low to medium level of electrification are now more or less fully electrifying by changing their processes. But also on the private demand side, when you look into the transportation, into the car chargers, they are installed in places where now there is a significant increase in the demand centers. So also the power systems in between need to change significantly in those ways that they have to transport energy over other and sometimes longer distances than before because you are not any longer that free in choosing, for example, your power generation places but also to distribute it in a different way to new and additional demand centers, which makes one factor very important in the design of the future power systems, which is controllable power flow. And here I need to spend one more minute to explain again to the people who are not detailed experts on power systems. When you have your well-established 50 or 60 hertz AC system, You have a very small controllability only on the power flow. It's physics which is doing that. So the current flow comes by laws of physics. Now, by introducing power electronics from the most modern technologies we are providing, you can start controlling that power flow from one point to another one in really planable way. And that is what technology progress is enabling and where we can make use of that to really then address the renewable power flow to the new and additional load centers and utilize overall the system in the best way. Right. So as we look forward, we move with greater progress towards this future system. What are you looking for? What will give you hope to know that we'll know we're moving in the right direction? 
What gives me hope is really that I hear commitments from everyone around the world. I think really everyone has understood that electrification is the pathway to go. Electricity will be the backbone of the entire energy system of the future. <clears throat> That's the only way how we can get to the carbon emission reduction, but also improve energy efficiency in a fantastic way at the same time. A direct electrification is significantly improving energy efficiency, and that is needed on top of the installation of all the renewables in order to um, satisfy the increasing needs for energy. We cannot just pump in more and more energy on the primary side of the system in order to satisfy the needs really at all demand sides. We need to improve in a significant way also efficiency and energy efficiency comes with direct electrification. And I think that all stakeholders have understood that. And what gives me really hope is that whenever I hear around public messages, but also experts talking around the world, everyone agrees on that. And we are moving forward. And we are also acknowledging that we need to use global available technologies and learn from each other and then build together country-specific or regional-specific solutions which fit the specific boundary conditions of that country or region. How long ago did you join Hitachi Energy? Just remind me. I'm approaching 25 years uh, next year. It was wow. not always Hitachi Energy. It was also the predecessors, but I'm happy to be in this. And I can tell you energy today, electrification is the place to be. And it is more fun, more enjoyment than ever to work on, uh, on a future energy system, which is truly sustainable and which is giving the chance for our next generations to really go ahead with a sustainable energy system. And do your kids see this? as Do they feel differently about what you do for a living that they might have done when they were growing up? Actually, yes, they are much, much more interested today because they are both no, not going for engineering. They have decided different pathways, which is absolutely fair, but they are much more interested today also because they are twins in the meantime. And, but they are also very much interested, of course, in what's happening in the world and how, how a sustainable energy system is needed that can be built. Well, although they haven't decided to take your path and follow your footsteps, that sounds like there are plenty of others who might be willing to do that. And in fact, last thing before I, I ask you for some recommendations is that another two projects that I think many people don't know that you're involved in. What is your, you're a judge for the Earthshot Prize. Is that right? That is true. It's not really a judge. It's, it's called an expert advisory panel. Yeah. But yes, we are providing input and feedback and, and here for really the very interesting, very nice applications for the Earthshot Prize. And I have the pleasure to be part of, of the climate topic, which is really enjoyable to see which great ideas are around there which innovation potential is there, but also a societal commitment. When I look into the last year's proposals, which I have been giving feedback on, then I was very happy to see that there is uh, also many communities who think bottom-up 
how they can contribute to the energy transition, what they can do as uh, thinking out of the box from the technology to the business model to also the commitment how to implement and manage it. I was very happy to see this global uh, commitment ideas from everywhere to move forward. Well, I'm glad you're not a judge because next week I'm meeting one of the finalists who didn't become the one of winners, but I've, he's now reconciled himself to the fact that being a finalist is itself a huge opportunity and honor. So, but good, you're not a judge. I'll be able to reassure him on that point. And the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Gerhard, is, I mean, you're very passionate about helping educate younger people about the nature of, of the, the power system and everything else. And you've had a lot of input to something that the, you've worked on with the BBC, didn't you? Yes, absolutely. It's, it's really that the future is obviously in the hands of the young generation. And we had the great pleasure to work together with, with the BBC on a sequence of videos to create some better understanding, but also enthusiasm on the energy transition and what we are working on. And this journey of electricity has become a fantastic success story there. We are extremely happy to see that it is well received and, and really appreciated because we need the enthusiasm really in the young generation. As I was also saying before, we, we do not only need engineers in doing that. We need really all disciplines here working together in a 360-degree approach. We need business models. We need uh, legal boundary conditions who are, are set for international collaboration. But we need also the right mindset everywhere to really support this, to foster this, and also to be willing to open the minds in order to change a little bit the way of living towards the future, to be more sensitive on how I use energy, but also how I can contribute myself to this energy transition in various ways. Well, we'll definitely include some links to that in the show notes. I'm sure people, if they haven't seen it, will want to check that out. Some of them are quite cool. So last thing then, before we let you go, Gerhardt, is we ask everybody who comes on this show for some catalysts. So things that they have read or watched or listened to that have shaped or changed even their view about climate tech, about energy. So anything you could recommend to our listeners? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. There is uh, so much information around, obviously, these days, which is good, but it's the luxury problem of how you select and, and how you filter. And of course, here I, I have also somewhere where I'm, I'm really listening carefully and learning a lot continuously. And when I think, for example, about podcasts, I'm really listening every week and every second week to the two different sequences of the Redefining Energy I had the pleasure to work with Gerard already many years ago during Future Energy Topics in WEF Environment and the podcast which he and Laurent Segelen have created there I think is really good and they have super interesting guests, good topics in a really informative and nice approach here. And they are doing also these weekly minutes on that which gives you some actual context. I, I really enjoy that one. But uh, I, there's also then very good qualitatively good blogs and articles which you find. And when I think there, I really like authors like Michael Liebreich or also Michael Barnard, who are combining strong technical understanding, sometimes even physics or chemistry, 
in combination with market understanding and how the picture comes together for this energy future. And that is something which I really like when there is the combination of the technical element with the market environment, but also the understanding that we need the societal commitment in this. This is what these authors, as just to mention a few out of, out of many good ones, are really doing well. And that's what I frequently listen to and learn from. We had Michael Barnard on the program a few weeks ago, and he was one of my favorite guests and being absolutely no holds barred when it comes to his, giving his opinions about various things that he thinks are wrong in the system. And uh, yes, you're in great, great company with some of the other folks that you've mentioned. And so we hope that we can earn your, a place in your rota, Gerhard, here at Wicked Problems amongst that august group that you've already just mentioned. We'll, of course, include links to all of those guys in the show notes. And I actually note that Michael uh, Liebreich, despite the stick he's going to get for it, couldn't resist going skiing indoors in Dubai, where he's there this week at COP. So with that, Gerhard, anything, last thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, again, it's really energy is one of the places to be. Yeah? And it's, of course, there, there is challenges for the world when it comes to the health situation, when it comes to the food situation. But finally, energy is also related to those because without a sustainable energy future for all, basically the future societies will not work. And, and that is why it's, it's such a fantastic place to be. And I cannot repeat myself often enough, especially towards the young generation. It is a combination of an unbelievable good purpose, which is giving energy to yourself every day. And that's also the case for me. Every day when I go to work, when I start working, I, I really enjoy this purpose, but at the same time, it's also something which is now really the needing everyone to make this scale up, to make this transition, this transformation. We need it across all the disciplines, across all the sciences, across all the technical disciplines, but also, as I was saying, across all the other disciplines. It's global work, it's international I think there is nothing missing in, in this mix. Uh, everyone can find something interesting, exciting there. It's simply the place to be. I think that's a perfect place to leave it. Gerhard Salga, CTO of Hitachi Energy. Thank you for joining us on Wicked Problems. Thank you, Richard, for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Wicked Problems. And if you like this conversation, please share it and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps people find the show. You can subscribe to our newsletter at news.wickedproblems.uk, where you can also find more episodes with Richard Elvin and Claire Brady and all our show notes. And consider becoming a paid subscriber to help support our work. You can also find us wherever you get your podcasts. For now, thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.